Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Finance Podcast, where we bring you developments from Guernsey's financial services industry. If you haven't listened to our previous podcast already, you can do so on your preferred podcast platform or via the on-demand page at our website, wearegernsey.com. My name is Rosie Alsop. I'm communications manager here at Guernsey Finance. We're the agency that promotes the island of Guernsey's specialist financial services in its respective chosen markets under the brand We Are Guernsey. For those of you who aren't familiar with Guernsey, the island is a leading global finance centre of substance, stability and security committed to the cause of sustainable finance. As a member of several United Nations environment initiatives and having been proactive in developing sustainable products and services. Today, we're talking about a world first for Guernsey, the very first humanitarian catastrophe bond covering pure volcanic eruption, which has been completed using a Guernsey insurance linked securities structure. The privately placed issuance, sponsored by the Danish Red Cross, was brought to market by Replexus and Howden Capital Markets through a Guernsey domiciled reinsurance structure, Dinant Ray IC Limited, an incorporated cell of Replexus, which is managed in Guernsey by Aon Insurance Managers. Joining me on today's podcast are Cedric Edmonds, founder of Replexus, and Mike Pickard, who's the Business Development Director at Aon Insurance Managers in Guernsey and a Director of Denant Ray. Welcome, Cedric and Mike. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Okay, so my first question, this is for Cedric. Can you explain how a CAT bond works? Uh, so a cap bond is basically a securitization of a risk transfer agreement. So the sponsor, who's going to be the, uh, the insured or the reinsured under the risk transfer agreement, pays a premium to the issuer. And the issuer issues asset-backed securities to investors um, and as, assuming the note proceeds, taking that as collateral to pay any loss under the risk transfer agreement. So if there's a loss, the investors will lose their principal and that will be paid to the sponsor to pay for the loss. And, uh, and if there's no loss, then the investors will receive the, the premium that was paid by the sponsor, which gives them a return on their investment. So ultimately, the sponsor therefore receives a fully collateralized cover and the investor is able to invest in an investment that doesn't correlate with the rest of their investments and whose performance isn't driven by econometric risk. It's therefore a fully diversifying investment and attractive to them. Okay, so tell me why uh, Guernsey was chosen for this transaction, Cedric. So I've been working in Guernsey for, for quite a long time. So I initially chose Guernsey uh, to set up a, my first transformer vehicle back in 2009 when I was part of Solden Partners. And, uh, and I chose it over and above the other main jurisdictions, which at the time were particularly uh, Bermuda and Cayman. I chose Guernsey um, for the for the quality of, of, of the people there, the service providers. It, essentially, they had a very positive can-do attitude. Uh, I was doing something which had never been done before, and uh, and <clears throat> when I spoke to the people in Guernsey, they said um, that uh, that we didn't know. Well, we don't. We've never done this before. We don't know exactly how to do it, but we understand what you're trying to do, and we think we can do it. And it was that can-do attitude that uh, that that brought me um, particularly to Guernsey. Also, as a, a fan of the uh, the ICC construct, over and above the PCC or the Bermuda SAC, came an SPC, and uh, and the only places to offer the ICC construction were at the time uh, Guernsey and Jersey. 
over time. The ICC has become uh, actually increasingly important to me and, uh, and now having spent uh, many years now uh, within the Guernsey environment, uh, I have other reasons that I like Guernsey, which I would, I would then add, add to the list. So for me, that's one is, is, is the, uh, the regulator, the GFSC. Um, they're, they're approachable, they're willing to listen, they provide support to innovation. Um, they, they turn things around quickly and efficiently, uh, which is also important to me. And, uh, and then when I hear of, uh, of how others struggle with some of the other regulators, uh, so the BMA in Bermuda, um, who seem to be less supportive of smaller entities and, uh, and, and in a way innovation, and for example, the FCA in the UK, which uh, um, it's a very large bureaucratic and uh, difficult and slow organization to deal with. And then finally, also uh, the exchange in Guernsey, so TICE. Um, I was uh, previously at Soldom a, a listing member and now uh, would like to join with, with Replex as ICC. And, um, and I've always found, in, found them to be approachable and supportive. And, uh, and you know, in all, it's been a joy to be working with good quality people and directly able to, to get things done. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Mike, can you explain Aon's role in this? Yes, Rosie. So um, Aon, Aon in Guernsey have had a long relationship with Cedric going back a number of years to his um, Solidum days where we used to manage his ICC structure there. At this time, we were involved alongside Solidum with a transaction called Solidum Iger. At the time, this was the first private placement cat bond. It's now being called cat bond lights in most channels and in the industry. And that's really similar to the Donant Re transaction that we're here to talk about today. Um, once Cedric established his new operation, Replexus, we were delighted to, to speak to him and then delighted to be appointed, appointed insurance manager and, and general representative. Now, really being the insurance manager on a structure like this, um, it involves sort of dealing with day-to-day -day management, the administration of the entity, but it also requires dealing with the regulator, both throughout the application stage of the transaction and also on an ongoing basis. So, Mike, how does Guernsey's legislation facilitate ILS transactions? So, um, Guernsey introduced SPI, which is Special Purpose Insurer legislation, back in, in 2017. Um, that, that legislation or or the drafting of that was in fact produced by Mark Hellier, who now of course is a deputy within the states of Guernsey, but he also sits as chairman on the board of Replexus ICC. Uh, this this um, legislation, it provides a relatively quick approval process or pre-approval process, depending on the type of structure you're looking at, the types of transactions involved. But as I think Cedric mentioned in, in his piece before, you know, really a great benefit of doing business in Guernsey, particularly on the ILS side, is that the GFSC do take a pragmatic approach to regulation and they do welcome innovative ideas. Really, I think it's telling that the division responsible for authorizations and approving applications is, is called the Authorizations and Innovation Division. You know, they're always they're always willing to listen to ideas and, and they welcome innovation and new ideas to the island. And on the back of that, I would say quite a few firsts have been achieved in Guernsey, starting from the first PC structure back in, in 1997, which was, of course, White Rock PCC, which is managed and owned by Aon. First insurance licensed ICC, again, being White Rock. And these are structures that have been copied around the world, you know, within Bermuda and other domiciles, and which are key structures useful. 
ILS transactions um, everywhere. So I think I mentioned before the first Catbond light being Solid Amiga through Guernsey. But again, something that Solid and were involved in was the first blockchain listing on an exchange and also a trade over that platform. And Guernsey's also been involved in, you know, it's bringing in the first hybrid ILS structures. All of this does prove um, that we do have a flexible and pragmatic regulatory and legislative regime. So, you know, Guernsey continues to innovate, and I'm sure there is more innovation to come. In fact, in fact, I know there is more innovation to come, particularly in this sort of green and ESG space. So uh, continue to watch this space. I think we'll watch with interest. So, Cedric, tell me about the blockchain technology, specifically uh, DLT that was adopted, as well as the synergies that were achieved. So, uh, in order for securities to have the possibility of trading easily on a secondary market, uh, securities are issued and sold on an electronic settlement system. Now, there are various systems around the world. Um, the larger ones, more notable, would be Euroclear, Clearstream, DTC, uh, Crest for the for the UK, UK Stock Exchange and the Guernsey Stock Exchange. But there, there, there are others too. Um, these, are, these settlement systems are, are global systems and uh, each of the cu custody banks ha has an account on them. And when someone issues notes, the notes are created on the settlement system and then the investors purchase the notes through their bank uh, in a delivery versus payment transaction over the settlement system. And, uh, and then banks hold the securities in their accounts and in the account of the bank on the settlement system for and on behalf of the investor. And the investor sees this credit when they receive their bank statements. So uh, <coughs> electronic systems as such are essentially giant ledger systems and, uh, and therefore their role can be fulfilled uh, by, by a blockchain, which is, as, as you remarked, uh, essentially a distributed ledger system. So with these uh, Dunant Re notes that we recently issued, the notes are created on uh, on a blockchain which uh, is called ILS Blocks, and the investors now on the blockchain they have their own nodes, and uh, and on their nodes, a node is, is essentially a server. Uh, they have uh, they hold uh, their own accounts, and we refer that to those as wallets. And within those wallets, they they are then able to hold the notes that they've purchased in electronic forms. So now they're holding the, the, the securities themselves directly. So the synergies that, that, that this creates is, um, uh, is, is initially it's, it's a cost synergy. So banks are, uh, are, are costly and using the, uh, the normal settlement systems um, it's uh, they, it's a costly process to to settle securities, um, particularly for syndicated issuances, and uh, and now the investors, as I said, they they hold the the securities themselves on their own nodes on their own servers, and that means they don't have to hold them uh, through a bank. So uh, so they they can then save on custody fees, typically. Custodial accounts at banks charge uh, a fee based on the amount of, of securities they hold, and to the extent that the uh, uh, that the investors are not holding securities with the bank, they save on that cost. Also, the uh, given that uh, the the investors, the the typically now funds that that invest in these securities, um, have the access to to the system themselves. 
they are able to set up trades, secondary trades on their own node on the blockchain. It's very similar to using a, 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 an online banking system. So very simple to do. And those trades, once they're entered, they execute directly on the blockchain. So then it reduces a lot of, a, a lot of back office costs um, on the one side, but also is, is much much less error prone. So the portfolio managers are able to do it. That they know what they're agreeing, and they're able to enter it directly themselves onto the system, and then the trade occurs and is confirmed by the blockchain. So my next question is for both of you, but Cedric, if you would like to answer first, how do you think this market will play out in future? So when I look at the ILS market, uh, it's essentially divided into two. So you've got the collateralized reinsurance market and the so-called 144A market, the the the, the uh, full-blown cap bond market, for want of a better term. And you know both of these are in the re- in the region of 40 to 50 billion in size. Now. Over the last few years, investors have been happy investing in, in across both markets. So uh, there were advantages to each. Um, however, looking at, uh, at last summer through autumn, uh, investors started to change their 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 wishes and uh, and and became less happy with uh, uh, with collateralized reinsurance and uh, and more happy investing in usage funds and more liquid fund structures. So part of this was uh, uh, as a result of, uh, of of late reporting of uh, of, of losses and uh, and just the, the the breadth of coverage. So cap bonds t- tend to offer narrow, narrower coverage uh, with the collateralized re because of of, of the nature of of the uh, uh, the risk assumption uh, and uh, and the illiquidity of them, it, it results in something called side pocketing, and uh, and that means that when positions when you don't know how positions going to be and it's illiquid you can't price it it goes into a so-called side pocket that that, that position is moved from the main fund into a into a side pocket and at that point investors can't exit it so they can exit their holdings of the main fund but they can't exit their holdings of the side pocket and that investors don't like fund managers themselves also don't particularly like side pockets because they can't charge fees on the on on the funds in the side pocket as well so um uh, so in order to to try and remove this problem uh we need to try and change collateralized reinsurance into a more liquid format so uh, my goal would be to try and move as much collateralized reinsurance to securities in the format of the Dunant reissue and, uh, and to have them in, in liquid transferable form. So uh, in, in a similar way to the, to the 144A market, the full cap bond market, and, uh, and to create a secondary market to have people be able to price them and, uh, and trade them, settle them uh, amongst themselves. The uh, uh, in similar way to the Dunant Re, the these securities would receive price marks. So Dunant Re has price marks on a weekly basis for investors, and uh, and then at that po- point the need for side pockets goes away, and uh, and it brings other uh, uh, other possibilities as well, where um, people can trade in uh, essentially distressed securities. So. Um, 
all of these efficiencies that the, the reflex has structure in the ILS blocks brings allows it to be done at a fraction of the cost of the 144A market um, whilst attracting still most of the benefits. So, um, you know, one good example is that uh, I mentioned uses funds earlier, uh, that three out of the eight funds that subscribed for the uh, for the Denant rebond were in fact uses funds. And these are the easiest for fund managers to sell to their investors. So yeah, and I I, I, do, I agree with uh, pretty much all Cedric um, said just there regarding regarding the ILS market, and and I do hope that for us all that you know the Replexus platform does does see growth and does solve some of the problems that he's mentioned, um, and also as Cedric mentioned, the ILS market as a whole isn't far off sort of a hundred billion in in size, so so it is a big market and. In terms of ILS, I think that this transaction and others that we are seeing and others that are sure to come soon prove that there is more that ILS can offer above, you know, the usual traditional property catastrophe type covers. And we we hope and we expect that Guernsey, the ILS market, Replexus, and of course Aeon are, are well placed to provide solutions to meet innovation and the growing need in this space. So what's the positive impact you're expecting the bond to have and who is going to be directly impacted by this? So the Denantry bond is uh, um, is somewhat multifaceted. It's, it's got various angles of, let's say, difference, newness about it. So one is it's the first time that, that a bond has been used for humanitarian finance. So it's opened the way for many more of such humanitarian finance bonds and uh, and has generated interest not only from the, uh, the Border Red Cross organization, but from other NGOs and humanitarian organizations. And also from, from the donor side, um, many are now looking uh, at, at this as a way to support the traditional donor finance model. Um, it, it, it's, it shows that the, uh, the collateralized reinsurance market um, is, uh, is a different and more beneficial way for all parties to transfer risk from the reinsurance market to the ILS market. And uh, and also the size of the bond is is, is something that's uh, um, that's somewhat new. Uh, the typical 144A market works uh, on a multi-year basis, so bonds of typically three four years in duration and uh, and of 100 million upwards. Um, whereas here we're showing a method that, that works equally well for say 10 million upwards. Indeed, this was a, a, a small as 3 million. So, uh, um, and, and that provides a lot of flexibility. It opens up the way for a, a lot of smaller transactions, which is still sufficiently significant in size, but, uh, but underneath the, uh, the threshold of what it would take for a, uh, um, for a 144A issue. And, uh, and then uh, finally, is, 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 if the market were to grow on, on, the, uh, on the ILS blocks and, uh, and there were more participants and the collateralized market were to grow further, as things develop, one could see um, new funds developing that would actually uh, work within that market. So one, you know, I talked about side pockets earlier. One of the things uh, would be potentially trading in distressed securities. So you could have funds which offer their investors um, an alternative 
investment in ILS, one where, where they pick up securities at a discount, which are an extension, and uh, and earn off that I extension. And that would provide uh, support to the, uh, to the, the, the existing funds in the market. Uh, they would be able to sell off their distressed securities to someone. And, uh, and it, it would increase, uh, increase liquidity and increase price discovery and, uh, and generally be of benefit to, you know, to all of the market participants. Yeah, and Rosie, from from my perspective um, as well, this bond is is gaining a lot of attention. So I posted something on my LinkedIn. I shared the We Are Guernsey posts and um, my views engagements that, that that we track through Aon put me in the top fifteen of all posts shared by Aon Global um, colleagues, which, which is really is quite an achievement considering the number of colleagues we have worldwide who who all use LinkedIn and other and other media channels. So. I've had calls on the back of this transaction, on the back of these posts from quite a few important and influential people, both within the ILS industry and, and throughout Aon from the US to Asia. I actually had an email this morning from someone in Japan asking a question on it, wanting to understand more. So I hope all this will lead to more opportunities in this space and where we can look to assist humanitarian organizations, NGOs and, and donors. That's wonderful. So how does, uh, Mike, the cap bond tie back to the sustainable development goals? Is there any specific goal this is mapped to? So I've done a bit of homework on the goals and the, uh, the various goals and the numbers. So if you, you look at the UN sustainable development goals, uh, I think this fits in quite well. You know, really what this transaction does, is it enables the Danish Red Cross to act quickly, deploy resources where needed, you know, relatively quickly. And this can help make sure that many of the goals are met in the event of a volcanic eruption. Um, you know, the funds deployed can help people in areas affected obtain access to clean water and sanitation, which, which I know is goal number six. And in doing so, it also ensures the good health of people, which which is one of the major goals of it. I think it's goal number three. And and ultimately as well, if you achieve both of both of these things, it will make sure that people don't go hungry. And I know zero hunger is a big goal of the sustainable development goals. So it ticks a lot of boxes as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I I I would sort of uh, concur with with Mike on, on that point, and uh, and could maybe add a little bit more colour, particularly sort of on on the the good health topic. Um, so at the moment, I'm in talks to use some of the technology used here to help support um, financing for healthcare for displaced populations. So uh, again, the goal would be to more efficiently bridge donor finance bring it to where it's needed on the one side but also where possible to transfer some of the peak tail risk for certain events to the capital markets using parametric triggers much in the same way as this bond has uh, has worked are there other potential humanitarian causes this structuring could work for and where are you hoping it will lead to next cedric so as i mentioned earlier i think it, it, it's uh, um this whole the Dunant reissues open people's eyes as, as to what's possible. Uh, you know, it's, it's broadened their horizons, and uh, and I'm aware of, of certain conversations that are happening within the humanitarian organisations, um, such as the Red Cross, but also with others. Uh, it, it, it's early days. They're, they're, it's, it's 
only recently been announced and they're coming to grips with it and and, and to see see what it is um but i i really feel that uh, that as they as they understand it and and as they they see how it could be applied within their own spheres not in maybe not quite in the same way but uh, but how they can use this as, as as a way to to leverage donor finance and and to solve the issues that they have um this is exactly where it's going to go I, I can't tell you the humanitarian space isn't directly my space but i'm sure that that, that people will pick it up and uh, and will will take it forward and and, and it will move it'll follow a, a path a natural path let's say which uh, where it will solve problems and, and i think we'll see many more of these sorts of transactions come to market in in, in the coming years what's the link between the danish red cross and the ils industry how did the conversation with adam bornstein come about well, the Red Cross didn't really have a direct link to the ILS market initially, so um, they had a problem, which was uh, uh, essentially the funding gap. So the funds they had available through donor financing and and, and what they uh, need today, and and uh, you know when they looked to the future, uh, that they realised that, that that they need other ways to to support their financing, and uh, and what they did was they set up an innovative finance team. Um, and uh, and that was uh, uh, it was a decision for for the entire Red Cross, so the ICRC, and the Danish Red Cross offered to sponsor that, um, you know, hiring the people paying the salaries, which is why the Danish Red Cross is uh, uh, is leading the transaction, and uh, they hired Adam Bornstein, and he knew of ILS, and and he was the one that that, that essentially came up with the concept of the volcano bond um so uh, in the summer of 2018 it, it was steve evans at artemis uh, suggested to adam that uh, that he contact me and uh, and then in the autumn of 2018 we had the first uh, uh, if you like the kickoff meeting the initial meeting with the with with the group which included meeting of the modelers and uh, um, myself other investors and uh, and adam and and various other people from the red cross and that's when the plan was hatched and and the result is now the issue of the uh, of the volcano cap bond so looking at the process of funding disaster relief what are the issues the cap bond is trying to alleviate mike i think it's really speeds um is is a key thing that the cap bonds um trying to alleviate the um the parametric nature of these solutions really mean that capital can be deployed quickly to where it's needed and, and therefore aid. And, and most of the situations where, where this is needed, of course, are ones where speed is of the essence. It also really provides access to alternative forms of funding, donations, um, so on and so forth, you know, by going to the investor market. Um, which increasingly we see ESG in, and investing in things that are linked to ESG as being high up on their agenda. So it's opening, as I said, new avenues to humanitarian organisations and NGOs requiring funding. I agree with Mike's comment and, uh, and would also like to add another benefit, um, which perfectly demonstrates the, uh, why or, or the value of, of, of doing this bond. And, uh, and it came up during the process of, of actually doing the bond. So initially, the size of the bond had been planned at 15 million, and uh, and 
in March of last year, with the uh, with the start of COVID and, and of lockdown, the, the Red Cross suddenly needed to spend a lot of money in the, in the third world to support COVID and therefore had less funds to, uh, uh, to pay for the premium for the bond. At the same time, donor, raising donor finance was difficult because the economic situation with people being furloughed and losing their jobs uh, that they, they felt less able to give money. So uh, so they had less income. They had a, a strong call on their assets. And, uh, and had there been another disaster at the same time, they would have been even more stretched. Now, by having the bond, what we do is we, we create a pot of money, uh, the, the collateral, which is there to be paid out as and when the, uh, the disaster occurs. So, so it's not any more linked to any economic uncertainty. You know, what if lots of disasters are happening at the same time? That money is there and, and, and will flow. Uh, so so it, what it does is it it, it separates the uh, the fundraising aspects of, of the Red Cross from the spending aspects, and uh, and and that has great value, and it it also as well uh, allows for donors to uh, to more budget for 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 their their donations. So. Uh, donors, large foundations and so forth, they are a little bit like companies and, and, and they like to be able to budget things. They, they have investments and, and here there's a regular premium to be paid and there's no shock, there's, there's, there's no difficulty in budgeting it and, and that's also a great advantage of, of, of this mechanism. And, uh, and now we're even seeing that, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm hearing about people thinking of launching funds in order to finance these sorts of premiums. So, uh, it, so people are looking at, at how, how are we going to finance the premium, how to do that. So it, it, it's, opening people's, it's opened people's eyes an awful lot. So why do ILS investors invest in these areas? Is it a desire for positive impact or a purely financial investment decision? And how does it tie in with secondary marketing trading among ILS investors? So uh, there's certainly an element of, uh, of, of, of the positive impact and, and the desire to be able to invest in ESG investments on, on the fund side um, and, uh, and to be able to sell that um, to, uh, to, to their investors as well, that they are investing in ESG. Um, but a positive return is ultimately uh, their raison d'etre. It, it, it's why they're there. They're there to make a positive return for their investors. So, um, so in in a way, it, it's both. Uh, ESG has obviously become uh, very important to, uh, to to the end investor, and uh, and when when fund managers are selling their, their ILS funds, they want to show that, that they are ESG compliant and, uh, and you know, that, that, that their investment uh, is uh, uh, ticks, ticks ESG box. And, uh, you know, by purchasing and holding these sorts of securities, it, it most certainly does that. So there you have it. Guernsey's leadership and innovation across ILS technology and sustainable finance make it the jurisdiction of choice for this type of bond issuance, providing investors with the opportunity to support NGOs responding to different types of catastrophe risk. I'd like to thank my guests, Cedric Edmonds and Mike Pickard, for their insights today. And thanks also to you for tuning in. 
To find out more about Guernsey and its specialist financial services sector, head over to our website at weareguernsey.com. And to listen to more podcasts of this nature, check out the We Are Guernsey podcast on your preferred podcast platform. Until then, it's goodbye from Guernsey.